Welcome to another episode of Politically Entertaining. I'm Frank, here with Byron. Uh, Byron, before we get started with the show, let's let the listeners know what we do, how we do it, and why we do it. We want to thank you for tuning in to Politically Entertaining. We bring you news and politics that isn't covered as much in mainstream media. We try to tell you what's important, things that you need to know. Uh, before we get into news and politics, I wanted to discuss with you, Frank, uh, something that's been somewhat of a conflict for me. Many Americans love football. I know I do, but I'm increasingly growing conflicted with the sport as I find out more and more about it. They're trying to influence the uh, outcome of research when it comes to concussions for their players. And it just seems like they they really just don't care about the overall welfare of their players because they have so many more coming in each year. I was wondering if you had the same conflict with the sport, because I know I do. But then they announced the upcoming Super Bowl cities like Atlanta, L.A., my favorite city, Miami. And it's like, wow, you know, uh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to stop watching football at least till it's played in some of those cities, because I'm definitely going to try to be in some of those cities, Atlanta in particular. So I was wondering if you had the same conflict with the sport. You know, it's very interesting that you bring that up. I mean, certainly uh, you got a lot of movies like Concussion that have come out. You have these players that are retiring early. You know, you got to think about a guy like Patrick Willis, um, you know, great, great player, great linebacker. He retires early. Um, and, you know, Marshawn Lynch, as he retired, guys are retiring earlier because of uh, concussions. And so, you know, with that said as the backdrop, I think that you're, you know, to answer your question, I think there's going to be a, a drop off in the sport. But not necessarily in the near term. I think, like you mentioned, L.A., Miami, awesome cities for a Super Bowl. I mean, I think you said it best. I think, I mean, the L.A. Super Bowl is going to be crazy. Can you just imagine the NFL hasn't been, you know, in in uh, you know, in in, in L.A. for a while, and then have Super Bowl there would be an amazing uh, sight, in my opinion. Uh, but what I do think is going to happen is down the line, uh, parents are taking notice, taking note, and saying, hey, you know what, this. NFL, this football is a dangerous game, and you're going to see people holding their sons out of out of the game. And what that's going to do is that's going to erode the talent so that maybe in 2030 you don't have the same talent and maybe football becomes more marginalized. So I don't think it's something that's going to happen immediately. I think you're going to get a chance to enjoy Super Bowls in the, in the cities in the near term. But what I will say is long term, uh, especially if you're, you know, disheartened with the game, there's a lot of Americans that, you know, eventually are going to go the way of how you're feeling. They, they're ignoring it because they really enjoy the game, enjoy the sport. But as things happen and continue to come out, like you mentioned, the the, the, the concussion research has somewhat been seen to be bought. People are going to get turned off and, and the sport's going to get marginalized, potentially like a boxing where it gets siphoned off into, you know, different things where promoters are controlling part of it. So I think you could see that in the next 25 years. But in the interim, enjoy fantasy football Enjoy the Super Bowls in those cities and uh, just see what kind of happens. Very interesting. I, I always thought I was the only one that felt that way, but I do feel like in about 20, 25 years, uh, the sport won't be as popular as it is, but we'll see. Uh, with that said, let's get into some politics. Listening to Politically Entertaining, your Cliff's Notes to American Politics. And now, your host, Frank. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Politically Entertaining. We'll be talking to Salim Muhammad later on in the show, American Muslim who happens to work in the federal government. Be interesting to discuss with him what it's like, uh, especially with the comments that have been made during this presidential election. I want to remind you that you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher Radio, and if you go to Google Play, you can download podcasts, search for Politically Entertaining. Frank, uh, there was a big story this week that came out involving Baylor University. It all started with this player by the name of Sam. I'm going to try to get his last name correct, but it's Sam Ukuwachu. Ukuwachu. Sam Ukuwachu. He's a defensive end. Long story, 
He played, he was uh, originally enrolled at Boise State. Uh, he had an abusive relationship with his girlfriend, allegedly, uh, but he wound up never playing for Boise State. He had to take anger management classes due to uh, some details that came from his relationship with his girlfriend. Transferred to Baylor University. This is all happening in 2013. Here in October 2013, he is accused of sexually assaulting a woman. And uh, the verdict pretty much just came out earlier this year. And most of the media and most of the public is just not finding out about it. Uh, what's very interesting about this story, Frank, is the president of Baylor University. We mentioned this guy. We mentioned this university, as a matter of fact, on an earlier episode of Politically Entertaining. Ken Starr, who was the prosecutor during the Monica Lewinsky trial with Bill Clinton. Uh, he was the president. He has now been reassigned. He is no longer the president and the coach of the football team has been has been suspended with the intent to uh, fire him. And again, I just wanted to get your thoughts on the irony of this man who, you know, he went so hard after the president at the time for a consensual sex act. Meanwhile, on his own campus, when you have non-consensual sex acts, uh, because it wasn't just with uh, Sam Ukawachu, it's with it's many other cases as well. There's a total of seven cases that went underreported or not reported at all under his watch. And I just wanted to get your thoughts. On I mean, I think you make a great point about the irony. And I think that's what we always want to get is the irony of a pro. I think what you end up happening, what ends up happening to people is whenever you go really hard for somebody for something, chances are there's some skeletons in your closet of why you're going so hard after them. So obviously you said, going back to the Monica Lewinsky, a consensual sex act. Obviously, it was still, uh, you know, adultery on Bill Clinton's part, and that was a bad thing. But now you look at compare it comparatively, and you're the president of a university which is protecting people's children, and you're allowing basically these football players to behave like animals, sexually assault young women, and and get away with it, and then they have a whole fabric of people in the university covering it up. You know, it's layers deep and everything that's going on. Certainly, as you mentioned, Art Browse, the head coach, is going to be fired. But, I mean, that's the least of the problems that they have. Uh, you know, you know, the funny thing is, you know, part of the commentaries, Art Browse actually lied. Chris Peterson, who's a coach at Boise State, actually, when Sam Okawachu transferred, he, uh, Art Browse claims he had no knowledge that Sam Okawachu was basically a sexual deviant and had a lot of issues. Um, you know, and Chris Peterson didn't call Art Browse a liar, but he basically said, I disclosed all the information to uh, Mr. Browse. So that's a very interesting thing. And so what you what you really what I really think is interesting is the power, as you, as you mentioned. It's funny you start off this segment about what's going to happen to football. Uh, this is another thing that's going to e derail and, and erode football is this this jock culture is just not flying anymore. Maybe it would have 20 years ago. People would look the other way. But this is a world that's becoming much more PC, much more, uh, how would you say, inclusive. And so things like sexual assault are not a game. It's not funny. It's not boys being boys. So this kind of thing, uh, just in the name of football, have a big program. It will not, it, you know, this, this could end up crushing Baylor's football program. And Baylor has produced some some marquee players, obviously, notably, most notably, RG3 most recently. But they've had other players that have come out. And so it's like when you start seeing these kind of things happen, it, you start seeing, like, you know, the, the destructive nature of football because of the profit that can be earned. And people will start getting turned off. People are going to start getting, uh, you know, bothered by this. And I think everybody should be bothered by this because, you know, for people that think that it's boys will be boys and things happen, wait till it's your daughter, sister, uh, you know, cousin. Uh, you know, or if you or maybe you're married to a woman who's had, had dealt with a sexual assault. I mean, those are things that are difficult to deal with and deal with, difficult to get through. So it doesn't need to be taken lightly. I hope I hope they come down with the full weight. I mean, I, not necessarily the NCAA, but I just feel like I hope the program, the people that are responsible are prosecuted to the full extent of the law. I don't necessarily want the program punished because there are some probably some good kids there, you know, playing football. I think a lot of times they, people say, oh, the death penalty. But that's not fair because there's kids that are good kids there that want to play football at Baylor. They don't deserve to be crippled and not be able to play football there but i do hope that the the onion is basically peeled back and everybody who was responsible whether it be police uh as you mentioned university president uh ken Starr, and any other people that are that are involved and in that would be prosecuted to the full extent of the law for covering up these heinous acts when i look at a case like this i can't help but think to myself you know 
we still really don't care about assault on women. So, you know, something we talked about, I think, on the very first episode of the show with Ray Rice, it wasn't about him hitting his wife so much as it was people just trying to outrage one another and, and show, you know, how upset they were that he did this. Or anytime there's a allegation against a famous person, your Kobe Bryant's, your R. Kelly's, most recently, Bill Cosby's, it's more or less about, you know, what what is that woman trying to get? It's it's never really about, you know, what what the woman went through or or the assault that happened against her. So it, it's just it's just shameful, and it, it's still going on, and. You know, like you said, I'm glad you brought up the point that it's not boys will be boys because that that's just not true. And we, we hope that if 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 these allegations are true with any case, that the, the perpetrator is definitely punished. Um, we're going to discuss a lawsuit against Gawker coming up. You know, they had a, a whole thing with Hulk Hogan. I believe it was last year. Going to also talk about uh, the many scandals of Hillary Clinton which plays into why a lot of people don't trust her and why she's probably struggling against Donald Trump in the polls. And we also discuss uh, Republicans. They're pretty concerned about losing the Senate. So we'll discuss that as well. Uh, speaking of the Senate, I wanted to bring your attention to Senator Corker of Tennessee. He is uh, a Republican. And, you know, we kind of bash the mainstream media quite a bit on this show, but I wanted to give them props in this this segment particularly the wall street journal they reported that uh this company called cbl and associate property incorporation they have a uh, relationship with senator corker and pretty much they inflated their rental incomes making millions and millions of dollars over the years and uh they're now being investigated by the fbi and the security exchange commissions for uh, fraud and mis misleading information. Now, I just wanted to give the uh, the media some props because it was the Wall Street Journal's report that brought this attention to the feds. And it's one of the rare occasions where the media actually did some investigative work, not falling around Trump and getting his latest soundbite, but actually, you know, digging deep and getting some actual news that can affect something. Now, it's important to note that as of now, Senator Cor Corker, has not been found of any wrongdoing. But Frank, what, what's troubling, what the big question is, he used to work for the company. He has a relationship with uh, some of the owners of the company. And again, he made millions and millions of dollars off of insider trading when it came to this company. So I want to know that you share my, uh, I guess, prop giving in the media in this circumstance. I do. I mean, I think any time you have a situation where, especially when you talk, I think people don't understand how serious insider trading is. Uh, and certainly that's, that's a lesser extent of the case that people are obviously inflating uh, those, those numbers, you know, obviously with with their uh, rental properties is, is more is more uh, disconcerting. But certainly there was, like you said, research done. And every now and then you'll have journalism, investigative journalism that is actually good. And I think that investigative journalism still has a great place. I think. The difference now is there is a lot more TMZ journalism or sensationalism in, in in our media than there is investigative journalism. I mean, pieces like 60 Minutes, pieces like, you know, 48 Hours, that, that Dateline, those are real news pieces that people don't really probably watch as much. PBS, you know, productions, those are investigative, that's investigative journalism that's very important. And so this is an example of that. They went, they went and looked and dug and saw that, you know what, there's, there, were, there was smoke, there was fire. Um, you know, certainly insider trading is a big deal. It is a felony. Uh, you know, Martha Stewart has has served uh, jail time for it. it is a big deal. So if they come and find out that he had inside knowledge and was, you know, say, buying, uh, you know, options on stocks to sell them at a higher price later, which is a lot of times what happens or short the stock, uh, either one of those things, uh, he, then they'll they'll be able to look at his records and see, like, you know, what happened uh, with that. So to me. Um, just we'll keep an eye on the story and, and see what happens. And, and it's important that these things are revealed. I think that uh, too often we, we let things like white, white collar crime go like, oh, you know, inside trade. We don't think about that as something that's really bad. But that's really I mean, imagine that. Imagine people making millions of dollars because they're getting information, uh, you know, about something 
that other people aren't privy to and, and they're and they're other people are losing money that's the thing when you're in the stock market to make money other people lose other people lose money so um I'm just glad that it came out. Hopefully the facts will all come out and, and justice will be served. I mean, that's that's what you really want. It's not a Republican, Democrat thing. I know some people will listen. And we have sometimes at some different times, you know, hammered, uh, you know, the Republican Party. But I don't I don't do that with any, uh, you know, vitriol or any uh, venom other than the fact that they've come up in some stories. And obviously we're addressing those issues. And this is one of those times as well. CBL and associate properties own 19 million, I'm sorry, 19 malls in uh, the state of Tennessee. What make this story extra uh, important is that, you know, Senator Corker has been rumored to be a, uh, a VP candidate for Donald Trump. He met with him last week in New York. So uh, then you have this come out. So like Frank said, we'll definitely keep you posted on this story and see what the outcome is. Again, we'll be talking to Salim Muhammad later on in the show. Again, he is an American Muslim, and we just we thought it'd be interesting to to get the the point of view of a Muslim in America and their thoughts on some of the comments that come out of candidates' mouths during, especially during this presidential election. So stay tuned for that. Uh, Frank, speaking of the presidential election, you know many Republicans fear that Donald Trump will bring down the ticket. So what happens is the majority of Americans, they vote during the presidential election. But, you know, we also every two years we vote on senators and congressmen. So when a presidential election comes around, usually the candidate that wins, his party picks up a lot of seats in Congress. A lot of people, they don't feel like, especially on the Republican side, that Donald Trump can win, even though the polls suggest otherwise. And there was a recent survey taken. 58 percent of Republican staff don't think that uh, Donald Trump will win. And they also fear that they'll lose the uh, Republican Senate. They've been pressuring Senator Rubio, who was uh, a presidential candidate, to run for reelection because they feel like if he doesn't run, that that opens up a Senate seat in Florida, an important state, by the way, uh, to a Democrat. So. I felt like it was an interesting dynamic because you keep hearing about how all these Republicans are coming out and getting in line and behind Donald Trump. But to me, this is where the truth lies. This is where, to me, it really tells how they truly feel as far as their fear of losing the Senate when in public they're saying, yeah, you know, we'll support Trump. You have a few holdouts like Speaker Ryan, but for the most part, many are coming out and saying that they'll support him. But to me, this poll and the fact that they're pressuring Rubio to run for re-election says something else. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree 100 percent that there is, how would you say, there is there there is there's an uh, undercurrent going on where they're clamoring behind the scenes to 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 basically avoid the fallout of what is going to be a potential Donald Trump. Uh, either either you know obviously his candidacy or either even election people feel like that that's going to cost uh them the senate seats and then of course you'd have an opposite of what you've had now you potentially have a republican president and then a, a democratic uh senate so i think that the republicans want to maintain as much power as they can so they're on they're playing both sides as, as politicians do right because a politician uh that's what they do best so they're trying to say on one hand they're supporting trump so they don't alienate those Maybe candidates, I mean, excuse me, those uh, who have supported Trump, the, you know, the base. And then they're also playing the other side, realizing that uh, the American population is very, very dissatisfied with the governing that the Republican Party has done in the last eight years. And so they're trying to, you know, maintain their edge wherever they can. So basically, it's one of those things where they're playing both sides and maybe potentially can end up getting burned in both both ways. I think that. If they came out in a hard line against Trump and distance himself, that would actually help them, believe it or not. But because most of them are kind of publicly saying, yeah, we're going along with it, except, as you mentioned, uh, Speaker Ryan, the American people are kind of like, they're smart enough to say, hey, you know what? You guys are saying this guy is a bad guy, but at the end of the day, you're saying he's all right for the ticket, so we're not going to get down with you. Uh, so I, I just kind of think that um, it's a non-winning proposition. I think if they want to denounce Trump, that's that's probably the best thing. But now that they've kind of, you know, stood st stand with him, say they stand with him, then they have to live with the results of that. If he doesn't win the election, what's going to happen to their Senate seats? And I don't necessarily think there's an easy way 
uh, to get around it. Obviously, Rubio would be a Band-Aid solution to get him to run. But if he's not interested, certainly they would probably lose that Senate seat as well. The many, many scandals of Secretary Hillary Clinton Clinton coming up. Also, the man that helped fund Hulk Hogan's case against uh, Gawker last year. Uh, We'll discuss that in a moment. But now let's uh, let's speak with uh, Salim Muhammad. Listen up. It's time for a politically entertaining exclusive interview. Joining us today on Politically Entertaining, he's the oldest of four boys. He's a 1998 graduate from Penn University. And sadly, he's a Skins fan. Sorry about that, bro. Uh, Salim Muhammad, thanks for joining us today, brother. No problem, no problem. You know, I'm not gonna hold, you know, that against <laughs> you. I mean, no, 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 don't be mad at me that uh, my team won the division, so it's okay, it's all good. Yeah, okay. Well, y'all, y'all gave a lot of money to a quarterback that I'm not sure you should have, but we, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. We'll That's a conversation for another day. <laughs> <laughs> very well, very well, man. We wanted to have you on, man. Um, you are of the the Muslim faith. Is that correct? Yes, ma'am. That's correct. Okay, and, you know, during the presidential uh, election, especially with uh, candidate Donald Trump, he has definitely said some comments about um, your people, so we're, we're very glad to have you on. Before we get into that, I wanted to uh, get you for our audience to, you know, let them know uh, what it is that you do, because one of the things that make you interesting is that not only are you Muslim, but you work for the government. So if he became president, that would make it even more interesting. So for our audience, can you just tell them what, what it is that you do for the government and how long you've been doing it? Sure, sure. So I'm a government contractor uh, working in the area of cybersecurity compliance. Been doing that for the last 10 years or so. Um, as uh, as Frank well knows, I'm a uh, native Washingtonian. Uh, so, you know, pretty much everything here in D.C. revolves around government. So I'm a contractor. I work for private uh companies every now and again, but most of the business comes from government contracting. So I've worked at various agencies uh, working in cybersecurity compliance, just making sure that government systems are uh, as secure as they possibly can be uh, and, uh, and, and ensuring that most of these uh, agencies are abiding by the policies they've implemented and instituted. So uh, that's primarily a lot of the work that I've done. Now, uh, <clears throat> in years past, obviously, with the change in the White House, uh, from Democrats, Republican, Republican, Democrat, and the like, um, you know, it's never been an issue uh, for me to pretty much find work, with the exception of the Bush administration, the second Bush administration, where we were in a uh, an economic downturn and a recession. Uh, but outside of that, everything's been uh, pretty cool. But um, you know, you know, being Muslim in the government uh, hasn't been a big issue down the line, regardless of the Persian Gulf War and the invasion of Iraq and, uh, you know, and, and the like, uh, and, and, and Afghanistan and trying to defeat ISIS has never been an issue. But uh, with uh, Donald Trump uh, spewing out some of the things that he said over the last few months uh, and trying to uh, uh, embolden some of his supporters, uh, it's, it's become a topic uh, – that's uh, you know that that that's becoming increasingly negative uh, for reasons uh, that are um, in, in, in most terms in, 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 in its more simplest terms inhumane and uh, you know it can be somewhat offensive. America is kind of built on oppressing. If you think about it, I mean, if if it's if you're not if it's if if you're not the the majority, then obviously someone's always going to look at you. So it could be black, you could be Mexican, uh, you could be uh, you could be right-handed, left-handed. You know, <laughs> today it's just, it's just the I'm the group du jour today, uh, being Muslim. So um, it, it's kind of uh, it's kind of disheartening to hear some of the things that he said uh, over the last few few months or so. Correct. You said you said you you are the uh, the group du jour today, and it seems like I would say you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like a lot of uh, I guess some of the, the 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 negative attitude from Americans towards people of your faith started not long after the 9/11 attacks. 
I wanted to know if you had any stories of uh, blatant discrimination uh, since 9-11 or any other attacks that turned out to have been uh, people of Muslim faith. Sure. I've got a funny story, actually. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm not the typical, quote-unquote, Muslim that people think of. You know, I'm African-American, my parents are from Ghana, so I'm black and I'm Muslim, so people see me first and foremost as a black man, right? right. Uh, okay. So this is going to go into my story. I, I wanted to preface that, um, preface my, my story with that, but it's, it's a kind of a funny anecdote. So uh, after 9-11, uh, like I mentioned, the, I guess the, uh, the job market was kind of dwindling uh, down due to the economic downturn and the like. I was doing a lot of odd jobs every now and again, so... Uh, there was a trucking company in Capitol Heights, Maryland, um, <clears throat> looking for a bookkeeper. I'd done some things every now and again, try to get some money so I could pay my rent. Uh, so I applied for this job, got the interview, and <laughs> the, well, as soon as I walk in, suit and tie, the guy looks me up and down and sees my resume, looks at my name, and looks at me. Again, he's doing a double take, and he right. says, Salim Mohammed. He said, wow, this is not what I expected. Uh, he's like, you know, so <laughs> it was kind of funny that this white man looks at me, has, you know, this 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 look of confusion, black, but my name is Salim Mohammed. So it kind of helped him uh, be more at ease with me, which I found hilarious because, you know, I'm black. You know, it's, it's funny. You know, when you're in places in industry, uh, typically, you know, um, you know, interviewing a black man sometimes can that that's usually like the barrier that you have to deal with uh right. when you're trying to get a job. But he felt more comfortable now looking at me as a black man and seeing my name was Salim Mohammed. Uh he was like, Okay, whew, cool. I can talk to this guy. He's here in P G County, he's a black guy, he's not this Arab guy that I have to worry about. Is he gonna knock down or blow up my facility, this, that and the other? I just I just found that one funny. I found it hilarious. I got the job did a few, a few months or so, um, and then moved on to my career. But that was about 2002. I was about 25 years old. I, 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 that, that always sticks in my craw every now and again. And you're right. Right after 9-11 is when things start starting to heighten and uh, even flying. Uh, I've had a few episodes as to where, uh, you know, I wasn't a no-fly list or, you know, maybe my middle initial wasn't on my license plate and I put it on my uh, – uh, I guess on, on my flight reservation, so they kind of helped uh, detain me a bit, uh, or not detain, detain is kind of a strong word, but kind of helped uh, to slow my progression down a bit uh, and get into my flights or what have you. But, uh, you know, nothing too major, nothing too drastic, but you could tell that, you know, being Muslim, um, there was going to be a, a bit of uh, a bit of uh, – uh, heightened uh, uncomfortability with uh, certain individuals uh, when they when they see your name or see you coming through the door and the like. So, yeah, it's kind of. Let me jump in. Let me in. jump in here, Salim. I think you made a very good point about people being uncomfortable. And one of the things that's very interesting in this country, obviously, we all know um, what the country was founded on. One of the biggest principles was religious freedom, and that means obviously the you know right to practice any religion, whether it be Christianity, Judaism, or um, you know, Islam, you know, Islam. And, and it's very interesting now that it almost seems like the Christian right, as much as, uh, you know, it, they almost seem to be having, and we, we've talked about this a little bit earlier, but they, they have this fear now of the Muslim community. And, and Ted Cruz brought this up, which is really kind of, fri you know, frightening. He says, we got to worry about Muslim communities uh, radicalizing. And granted, uh, being that you're of Muslim faith and you, you probably are connected to the Muslim community, is there a worry um, about in Muslim communities, like when when people make statements like that, obviously Ted Cruz is no longer in the presidential race, but he made a statement that I believe that there's a lot of um, conservative Americans really believe that yes, we need to worry about these uh, Islamic nation Islamic neighborhoods radicalizing and you know blowing up our uh, neighborhoods. Is uh, just just have you gotten any feedback from uh, people on that? Uh, I haven't gotten any feedback per se, but I see it. You know, it, it's very visible. For instance, there was a story a couple weeks ago about uh, a person on the airplane who wasn't even Muslim. He was a Sikh. But because he had his turban on his head, uh, one of the passengers said, hey, we got to get this guy off the flight. We, we can't fly uh, because I don't feel safe. Well, you know, it, it, it's all about 
it's all about being educated, right, and being educated as to, um, you know, what religion is all about. America is built primarily on Christianity. So, you know, anything different from that Christian norm uh, is going to maybe cause some type of concern. So, um, yeah, I mean, those type of incidents happen. That's more so level of, high levels of ignorance, um, maybe undereducation. Um, and then you have the fear mongers like uh, Ted Cruz and Donald Trump who help galvanize um, these individuals that, that, that promote that type of uh, that rhetoric. Uh, even when President Barack Obama, um, his, having his middle name being Hussein, caused a huge concern for a lot of people uh, during the 2008 election, and even still now. You know, uh, he goes to church with his family, but because his middle name is Hussein, oh, he's a Muslim, he's a terrorist. I mean, you, you, you've seen the clips. I mean, you've heard people say crazy, ignorant stuff. He's a Muslim terrorist socialist. Like, that doesn't even make any sense, you know. I, I saw this one clip of, uh, of people in Ohio during the 2008 election uh, labeling him anything under the sun as long as it had Muslim encapsulated within their, uh, their statements or their descriptions. So, you know, the word Muslim now carries a negative connotation, um, and it's, it's unfortunate, but, you know, when you have the, 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 the extremists, the Christian extremists, uh, the Republican right, and they, and they have their, their pundits and their media vehicles uh, spewing that, you're going to get more and more incidents like, like the one I spoke of, of the person on the plane who wasn't even Muslim. Uh, it's kind of unfortunate, and uh, I don't know how it's going to stop. I don't know when it's going to stop, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a trying time to be a Muslim in America, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, I think that's a great point, what you made is, you know, I think there is, there is this fear that obviously if Donald Trump was to be the president that there would be a backlash against uh, the Muslim community, but I think what you point out is that there's already been a backlash, and so my my argument has been, and we've talked about this on previous shows, and you can listen to this show or any other show on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or Google Play, um, that we feel like the worst has already happened with Donald Trump. He's already, his the fact that he's been able to get this far, his candidacy has been able to spew this much hate, even if Hillary Clinton, let's say she wins in a landslide and wins the election, I don't know that there is a way forward to, to repair uh, the damage that's been done. Do you? What, what is your thought um, that can be done? Like, do you? Is it going to take something um, where where people who are, tr- you know, say as you mentioned, Christians or, or other religions, people speaking out in Christianity, saying, "Hey, we are accepting. You know, we are a nation of accepting all religions, and this has to stop. This kind of ignorance uh, will not happen." It, it, to me, it feels like it can't just. It's not going to just go away, even if Trump is not elected. Do you have that same feeling, or do you have a different sentiments? Oh. Absolutely. I feel the same way. And it's all about the individuals that have the power to communicate. So, uh, for instance, you and I, we're good friends, Frank, and uh, you're a Christian. You've never said anything to me about uh, my religion. There's been no religious persecution. Um, So there's a million Frank Turners out there, um, but they don't have that voice to kind of help educate and promote that, hey, this country is built on uh, religious freedoms and the like. Um, uh, there's a pretty interesting situation that happened uh, maybe three or four years ago. I, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but there was a show on TLC called All American Muslim, and TLC wanted to kind of promote this. Hey, we have Muslims in this community in Dearborn, Mich- Dearborn Michigan. It's a reality TV show. We want to sh- we want to educate the world about Islam. Well. And due to bad ratings and pressure from Lowe's and Kayak.com, uh, TLC pulled the show. And um, obviously, uh, the, the show being about all American Muslims, no one was really going to push forth to try to bring the show back. Like I mentioned, it had bad ratings, so that helped that as well. But the fact that, that, that sponsors like uh, big, big outfits like Lowe's and Kayak.com made it highly uh, <clears throat> difficult uh, for this, this show to be promoted and pushed forward, uh, shows you that establishment kind of controls the message or controls uh, the views. 
that, that are put forth uh, in our papers, on our televisions, on the Internet. Um, it's, 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 it's difficult. Uh, it's a difficult time. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that we're at this point now, but uh, do I see it getting any better? It's difficult to say. Uh, time will tell. Um, but from my vantage point, it's going to be a slow crawl, a very slow crawl, because uh, like I mentioned before, anything that's different to Christianity uh, will always be challenged. Um, hell, I've been in churches before uh, with friends. I even have Christians in my family. So, it's, you know, it, it, for me, it's not, it, it's not an issue to intermingle um, uh, amongst religions, whether it's Christianity, Judaism, Buddhism, uh, Sikh, Hinduism. Um, that's just the fabric of America. But right now, the focal point is on Islam, and I think the, the primary issue is uh, the Islamic jihadists and the extremists uh, namely uh, ISIS and ISIL. Um, and what they're doing is giving a bad name to the religion. And, and everyone just kind of looks at ISIS and ISIL as the faith. And that's not the case. Um, so it's, it's just more so just trying to educate and trying to, to show that there's, uh, there's different factions. Just, just similarly, think Christianity in America, right? Think of the Bible Belt. What was born from the Bible Belt, the KKK? They're Christians, but they're terrorists. But, you know, no one looks at them as uh, terrorists that are going to create communities that are going to disrupt the everyday lives of, uh, of Americans and businesses and the like. Hell, KKK, they've been in government. They've been in Fortune 500 for years, for centuries. But they are just as damning and damaging as ISIS and ISIL. They just don't have the weapons or the, the, the quote-unquote weapons of mass destruction and nuclear warfare, or, or they don't behead people uh, on, on, on YouTube. You know, they just, they just hung people from trees and just kind of... Well, yeah, that, when, yeah they did, when they did their dirt, it wasn't on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, yeah, different times, you know, different times indeed. And at their peak, you know, a lot of their power came from the fact that a lot of police officers either empathized or were members of the KKK, so they were able to get away with a lot of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they were able to infiltrate and, and, and continue to live under the hood, so to speak. So, yeah. We are talking to Salim Muhammad. We're discussing specifically being a Muslim in America, but I think in a broader text we're, we're speaking of just being different in America. I wanted to know, Salim, um, in a sad, comical way, a lot of times when there's a particular crime that's uh, profiled on the news, I've been around uh, other black people that have been like, please don't let the perpetrator be black. Please, please don't be mm. black. And I just wanted to know, do Muslims or people of your faith have the same sort of reaction when there's a terrorist attack anywhere in the world? Like, you know, please, just this one time, don't be Muslim is that something that just limited to the <laughs> yeah, black people? <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It is comical. It is comical, and I think what I mentioned before, in a, for for me, my classification first is black because that's what you see. I'm dark skin, brown skin. So, like what you mentioned, I hope that this person is in black. You know that that's my first reaction when I see these crimes. But when I see crimes with terrorism, um. I don't necessarily have that thought. You know, that, that's kind of an interesting question. I've never had that thought, oh, please let this guy not be Muslim. But very interestingly, uh, when the San Bernardino shootings happened, uh, what was it, four or five months ago yeah, uh, yeah. in California, um, when I heard that there were shootings, I didn't even think that they were Muslim. I, did, I wouldn't even have thought that. I was like, okay, they, they locked down a medical center. They, they shot and, and killed people, injured folks. I was still thinking the typical white male mass murderer, you know, Newtown or the movie theaters in Aurora, Colorado. My first thought was, hey, when you think mass murderings and, and the like, it's typically a white male. So that was what I thought for the first six or seven hours of that ordeal. No, it's a white guy. They'll probably catch him. 
it's probably going to be a murder, suicide, something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. So then the next day, when they mentioned that it was a couple, uh, a male and female, that had done this and they were Muslim, I was like, oh, God, you know? <laughs> you know, it's kind of a bad time for a, a terrorist act on American soil to be committed by Muslims. Um, also, the Boston Marathon, um, they were Muslim from Armenia. Um you know that that one that 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 one was a that was huge, that was huge. It was heinous. And what I said was, I don't care what religion, what color you are, when you do something like that at a big event like the Boston Marathon, and people are impaled, killed, some of them, you know, children. I don't care what your faith is, what your color, what your gender is. You know, I, I just hope there's a place for you where, you know, the griddle is extremely hot. You can't get out of that frying pan. So that that's how I felt about the Boston Marathon. Um, <laughs> I, I remember having a, a similar reaction once they revealed who the uh, the DC sniper was. I was like, "You gotta mm. be kidding me!" Yeah. Uh, so that, that's interesting to hear. Um, for for this final question, it's sort of in the same category as far as uh, you know dealing with grouping grouping groups together. But I know Italians had a problem, some Italians rather, had a problem with The Sopranos when it aired on HBO as far as how it painted them. Uh, There are some blacks that had a problem with Good Times and more recently Tyler Perry movies and how we're portrayed. And I know that some Muslims have had a problem with uh, the show 24 and the show, I'm not sure if you watch it, Homeland that airs on Showtime as Mm. far as how it portrays most of the terrorists as Muslims. Have you had any experience or or is that again is that limited to to black people and, and Italians as far as different entertainment uh venues that portray your faith in like the same vein and never ever i guess exploring different avenues for people of your faith mm. uh, great question and I think I mentioned earlier you know who controls mass media? Uh, whoever determines, whoever has that control determines how the picture is painted. So 24 for me was entertaining. I mean, it was like, uh, you know, they had Muslim terrorists, they had the Chinese, um, you know, they they were more so, they had British, so they had, they had terrorists. It was all about one guy, Jack Bauer, trying to save the world from terrorism, you know? Um, so that, that one, um, that show was okay. I haven't, I've never, I haven't watched Homeland, which I've heard I should, I will. But there was a show on um, on Showtime with Michael Ely called Sleeper Cell, mm-hmm. and I thought that that was a very interesting show. They were discussing how these terrorist cells are are created in America, um, how they recruit certain individuals uh, to be a part of their cell, and I didn't really. I wasn't offended, you know. I understand why. I understand why Italians feel a certain way about Sopranos, because not all Italians are in the mafia. But when you hear that someone's from Italy or they're Italian, obviously, you're like, oh, you must be from La Cosa Nostra or something like that. Uh, and blacks, obviously, you know, we don't want to be on on the screen eating chicken and watermelon because you know that feeds in the stereotypes, right? <laughs> or we want to, you know, don't want to be caught up in gang violence, this, that, and the other, uh, to kind of. Uh, help promote or further uh, what they think about us. But uh, I think Sleeper Cell was well done because I think it was more so done from, an, uh, from, from, the, from the vein of educating. Yes, there are sleeper cells in America. There are terrorists that uh, are in America. You mentioned the D.C. sniper. He was a black Muslim. John Allen Muhammad was a black Muslim. Um, uh, he was converted, but, yeah, he was a black Muslim. So th- those things actually happened. I think that show was more so um, realistic. But, again, not a lot of people knew about Sleeper Cell because it was discussing uh, Islam and terrorism in Islam, and nobody wanted to watch it. I think it only had two seasons. I think it was a really good show, and I would definitely implore folks to watch that if you, if you have uh, Showtime, uh, Showtime to Go or something like that. I think that 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 kind of was more real uh, than anything else. So, you know, you have some of these shows going back from the 70s, 80s, 90s, uh, kind of depicting, okay, 
this guy looks like he has a sand-colored skin tone, so we're going to make this guy the Arab terrorist, and uh, we're going to make him Muslim, and he's going to scream Allahu Akbar and have bombs strapped to himself and blow up the building. I mean, you know, <laughs> uh, sometimes America is just, just ignorant, and, and, you know, sometimes ignorance prevails, and you can profit from ignorance. Uh, and that's what's kind of happening during this clown show of an election cycle. Uh, it's just promotion of ignorance, and unfortunately we're showing as a people, as a collective, America's truly undereducated. And I hope for myself and you guys that when people go out to vote, and hopefully more so the educated individuals uh, that want to have uh, a better way of life as opposed to being in a police state uh, due to some ignorance. We can we can only hope. Before before I get you out of here, uh, full disclosure: when the 9/11 uh, attacks occurred, I was about 20 years old, and I was one of those Americans that had, I would say, an ignorant view of, of people of the Muslim faith. And uh, I have evolved as I've gotten older. It's been about 15 years now. So I just want to thank you for coming on, man, and just bringing attention to this subject. And I just hope that those that share those ignorant views that I had 15 years ago, that they also have evolved and that you have assisted in the progression of that evolution and understanding of what it's like to be different in America, what it's like to be a Muslim in America. And I, I thank you for coming on the show today, man. Oh, Brother Byron, thanks for having me. And like I mentioned before, it's a slow crawl. If, we, if, 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 if views uh, can help people evolve over a slow period of time, it's better late than never. So, you know. Thank you for evolving. I appreciate that. I want to thank again Salim Muhammad for joining us on Politically Entertaining. I may even tweet this particular episode to Donald Trump. He's a big, he's a big uh, tweeter, uh, and, and hopefully we can get him to listen and get his thoughts on it. But uh, I'll tweet it to him and see if I get any response. But I also thought it was important to disclose, you know, uh, you know, my evolution and thoughts on. Muslim Americans right after nine. So I appreciate Mr. Muhammad joining us and just wanted to get your thoughts on the interview as well, Frank. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I've known Salim for a number of years and he's certainly a guy that uh, doesn't pull any punches in a positive way. He's he's uh, strong in his faith. He's also strong in his uh, understanding that people, uh, the biggest thing that divides people is their will- unwillingness to just be educated and understand the differences that people are not really that big a deal, you know. Uh, and I think at the end of the day, uh, we really need to embrace that, especially heading into a season where we're so divided politically and that, you know, people can't even have a different religion or a different opinion without it being, uh, you know, how would you say, like a po- such a polarizing thing. It shouldn't be a big deal in this country that, that, of course, was founded upon religious freedom, obviously a lot of Christianity, but certainly religious freedom is part of the, the, the um, you know, the covenant that, that America was founded on. So you, you just don't like to see that. And certainly it was great for him to address those issues. And going forward, you know, it's important that we all take a look at ourselves and make sure that we're not just blindly discriminating against some group of people because of something we saw on TV or because of one experience we've had. And I think, sadly, a lot of us do that. And it took a and it takes a big man and I commend you and applaud you for saying what you said because there's a lot of people that after nine uh, eleven attacks probably said oh yeah let's just blow away all the Arab nations you know because that's what they do they're jihadists they're radicalized you know and so you know it's very interesting that 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 came up but like I said it was it was a great interview uh, definitely go back and listen to it again if you missed anything it certainly was uh, very good to, for us. The timing of having him on this show was pretty much perfect as uh, Ramadan is approaching us uh, next week, I believe. So, uh, again, just glad to have him on. And uh, like I said, we'll, we'll be talking to him again as uh, the election grows ne- nearer, hopefully. Frank, I've been wondering why, you know, this should be a slam dunk for Hillary against such an unseasoned pol- Well, he's never been a politician, actually. Uh and, you know, they were former friends at one time. They had a relationship somewhat, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. This should be such an easy election for her. But not only is she struggling against Trump, you still have Bernie Sanders nipping at her. And if he wins California, we be we may be discussing him on next next week's episode of Politically Entertaining. 
And I've been wondering why has it been so hard for her to put this away? And, and the only conclusion I can come to is it's her own fault. Scandal after scandal, controversy after controversy. It just seems to follow her just from the very beginning of her political career with, with Whitewater and and everything that came out of that. The whole the, the Bill Clinton sex scandal, it wasn't so. I mean, it, yes, you know, it was the sex and the infidelity, but many people object to how the Clintons treated those women, Paula Jones, Monica Lewinsky, and the intimidation that they use against those women. Then you fast forward to the whole Benghazi and the email thing and having a whole separate server. And even uh, so on a smaller scale, during the 08 election, she mentioned about landing in Bosnia and being under sniper fire. And it took a comedian to correct the record. Uh, Sinbad, who was like, I was there. There was no sniper fire. And she tried to laugh it off and say he doesn't know what he's talking about. And then they came out with the video and they showed her, you know, walking casually, shaking hands, hugging people. No sniper fire whatsoever. Why does she struggle so hard with honesty? Why does controversy and scandal? It's an unfair question to ask you. Obviously, you can't, you know, answer it. But I, I still have to ask you, why does it seem like she's always in the middle of something? I know the easy excuse is. All politicians have some type of controversy around them. But with her, it just seems like it's always much, much more magnified. I agree. I mean, she's a magnet for negativity. Uh, she seems to be just overall, you know, just my opinion. Obviously, I don't know Hillary Clinton from anything. The reason one reason why she's not popular is because people just see her as a dishonest person not and there's a difference between lying and being dishonest we all have lied i think i think the american people are well you know even as, as ignorant as sometimes uh they can seem regarding the electorate we all understand people lie nobody is told truth tells truth all the time but there's just a dishonest nature to her whole setup i mean even going back to other episodes of political entertaining where we had ep on and we talked about how she's pandering with Michael Brown and uh, Tamir Rice's mother is on the campaign trail and you know she's got hot sauce in her bag and she listens to be you know Beyonce's Lemonade. It's like you don't need to. It's just it's unnecessary the things she seems to do to draw attention to herself and it never ends up being positive. I, I blame partly her. I blame her PR people for like why are you even saying these things? Like you should have. A better, you know, person that says, if you say this, it's not going to be received well. Uh, you know, in regards to the whole Bernie Sanders thing, I still don't believe that Bernie Sanders is going to mount a challenge. I, I, I think that the, the DNC has a little more control than the RNC had. Like Trump just kind of took the thing out of storm by and blew it out of the water. Bernie Sanders doesn't quite have that, I don't believe, to, to make that same uh, case. So I kind of think. Uh, that she's going to end up winning the nomination. But like you said, it's been dragging out a little bit longer than it should. And that's hurting her. That's hurting her because Trump is getting his his you know ammunition ready. And what seems like it could be an easy victory for Hillary Clinton could end up turning into a, a, a battle that she may end up on the short end of if she doesn't correct her uh, her image quickly. Because I think that, you know, while Trump people people understand who Trump is and they maybe dislike him, he's seen as a more honest candidate. And that's a crazy thing to say. I mean, it's not really a crazy thing to say. People may think he's bigoted. Even people that don't like him and say he's bigoted would say he's probably more honest than Hillary Clinton is. And that's, to me, what's really hurting her. The perception that she is a dishonest person, a uh, pandering you know, politician willing to do or say whatever is convenient is hurting her. And, and I get it. That's what politicians have always done. But Trump has turned the establishment around on both sides, which is why we mentioned on a previous episode the Democrats need to be very concerned because Trump is bucking all the rules and Hillary is not so far. I'm not impressed with her campaign. She's going to fall into the same trap that all the other Republican candidates did. And, and, and when November comes, she could be losing some very key swing states, which could cost her the election. So we'll have to just see how it plays out. But again, I didn't I don't know if I answered your question totally, but I just think that she has a dishonest reputation and she does nothing to put herself away from that dishonest reputation with every action she makes. And it's just killing her. And I, I could go on. I mean, we could, we could talk about the Clinton global initiative and how as secretary of state, you know, they got donations from foreign countries, which is somewhat a conflict of interest. Uh, we could talk about the speaking fees that she's received, that she won't release the transcripts of her speeches. 
to these different uh, like Goldman Sachs and, and those type of uh, companies. We go on and on, but it, it's just, you know, if you're a Clinton supporter, you, you, you have to be somewhat frustrated at her continuing to be in, in some type of controversy. It, it, it can be maddening. Uh, before we go, Frank, last year, I don't know if you were a WWF fan. I know it's WWE, but when me and Frank were growing up, folks, it was WWF. Uh, you know, growing up, Hulk Hogan was a popular star. Even if he wasn't a wrestling fan, you knew who Hulk Hogan was. Uh, take your vitamins, say your prayers. And last week, we, last year, rather, we learned that <laughs> he likes to, he doesn't really care for, you know, people that look like me and you when it comes to dating his daughter. I believe he, there was a video of him using the N-word and having sex with one of his friend's wives. So, that came out. It, it totally embarrassed him. Uh, the WWE went as far as to, I believe they removed him from their Hall of Fame, uh, which is, you know, unbelievable to just even think about when you think about all that Hogan has done for wrestling. But he was able to sue the, the website that outed him, Gawker, uh, and he, he was awarded $140 million for invasion of privacy. We learned last week that a man by the name of Peter Thiel he uh, was one of the first investors of Facebook and he co-founded PayPal. He actually paid up to $10 million for the fees and everything for Hogan to uh, sue Gawker. And he he's doing this. It's a crusade of sorts because he's gay. And I'm not sure if it's Gawker that are out of him, but a website like Gawker out of him. And he's now made it his crusade to go after companies like that. Uh, for invading invading the people's privacies. So they're trying to say, I wonder, my question to you, Frank, is should he be discounted for having a crusade? Like, should, is there any type of conflict of interest by him funding someone like Hulk Hogan and having this agenda of going after uh, Gawker because he has somewhat, I guess you could say, a vendetta to pay back for outing him? Or do you think it's just all legit? I mean, that's a tough question because you're saying, okay, does somebody have a right to seek revenge if they have the money to? I think that when you look at a history, people generally do that, right? If they have the resource, they have the means, they go after people. Uh, you know, I, lo I, I love the show Game of Thrones. I know you don't, not a Game of Thrones fan. I won't put out any spoilers or anything in case you don't watch it or you're not caught up or anything. But, you know, one of the things there's a, you know, there's a, there's a lot of alliances, there's a lot of houses and kingdoms. And one of the things they do is if somebody, you know, has maybe wronged somebody a while back and then somebody else is in conflict with the same enemy and they have a chance to align with that person to get revenge, they generally do it. So uh, going on that idea that that's just how people are, I would say it's not totally uh, out, out of out of line. Now, is it does it make it legitimate? I don't know, you know, because it's, it's like obviously Hulk Hogan did say those things. They were on video and and things like that. And, and he did, you know, uh, commit adultery with a friend's wife. So those are those are bad things he, he shouldn't have been doing. But certainly, um, you know, is it Gawker's right or any other side's right to put out people's business, their sexuality, their transgressions? And certainly uh, Peter Thiel doesn't feel that way. He's going all in against it. And, and certainly I feel like uh, if I was in his position, maybe I would have the same mindset. I don't really know. Uh, but I, I, I can't, I don't, I don't think it's strange. It doesn't, it doesn't shock me at all. So, uh, if that, hopefully that answers your question. Peter has said that, um, one of the, another reason that he went after Gawker is because he felt like they go after people that don't have the resources like he does a lot of times that they can't fight back. And that was another reason why he made this his crusade. I don't follow Gawker, so I don't know how true that is. It was to my understanding that they only go after the famous and the rich. So I don't know how true that statement is. And I, it's hard for me to say if I have an opinion one way or the other. Uh, I do. I guess I don't like it, but that's just my personal opinion. I don't like, you know, outing anybody. We we all have said and done things that we would not ever want made public. So it just really gets a gets to be a dicey situation when it comes to outing people like that. But um uh, We'll see how that goes. Uh, again, Hogan, he was awarded $140 million. And like I said, Peter Thiel has made this his crusade. I want to thank the listeners again for tuning in to Politically Entertaining. We have a new number one most listened to show. 
the interview with Nicole Spears. That it's just unbelievable how you guys have supported us. And me and Frank, we just really thank you. Again, please subscribe to the show. iTunes, Podbean, download podcasts off of Google Play, also Stitcher Radio. So if you have Apple or Android device, you can subscribe to us. The episodes come directly to your device and you can listen to us. Go back and listen to any shows that you may have missed. And before I pass it to my man, Frank, I do want to say congratulations to all of the graduates nationwide from high school that are graduated and you're on your way, hopefully, to college or some type of uh, higher education or training. Congratulations to you guys. Uh, and I just wish you the best. Again, to reiterate the point Byron said, thanks for listening. We do the show for you, the listener. We want to try to educate you on as many different uh, points of view as we can to get, to, like you said, have an informed electorate. Uh, the election is coming up within five months. This is a very big deal. Want to make sure you're not just ready for the obviously the huge presidential election, but also make sure you're researching who's running for your local offices. And that way you can know how to vote accordingly based on what they're what they're uh, uh, doing as far as policies regarding that. So, again, thank you for listening. Uh, We'll see you guys soon on another episode of Politically Entertaining. Thank you for listening to Politically Entertaining. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes and visit politicallyentertaining.com for the latest in political news and updates.